0: Last week we started talking about choices, and uh, I, I mentioned last week that there's a study that says that we make about 2,000 choices every every hour. Now that's a lot of choices—2,000 <laughs> choices an hour, about 35,000 a day. Doesn't that seem a little bit overwhelming? <laughs> it does. And and so some of those choices are big, small. Some of them are life changing. Um, John Maxwell says this: life is a matter of choices. And every choice you make, makes you. And ultimately, we will be defined by the choices we make. And today, what I want to talk about is choosing, making a choice to succeed in life. Now, I didn't have this plan, but I'm just, I just thought I got to get this out there. But I, my dad, who I told you passed away this morning, he uh, was, I mean, never in my mind did he was he ever not a success because he was he was a raging success he was a coach he was a high school football coach but what's interesting about him is his dad played in the NFL his dad was a coach his dad died when he was only 11 years old but then my dad's brother my uncle Joe he went and played in the NFL and he ended up being the head coach of the New York Jets and so when I was in junior high and in high school my uncle was the head coach of the New York Jets and my dad was a head high school football coach. He was a head high school football coach for 43 years. And often people would say, does your dad feel jealous? Is that like, is there something? And he never did. In fact, here's what's amazing about my dad is at any point, my uncle would have hired him, and my dad could have coached in the NFL at any point. And when I was in high school and then in college, two different times coach colleges came to my dad and said we want you to coach our college football team and at the time when I was that age I thought how cool is that dad yeah and every time someone would ask him to take a different job or do something different he said the same thing he said I love coaching high school football and I love the kids I coach now not many people love high school kids (laughs) let's be honest but he loved high school kids And he made this huge impact in their lives. And he knew, and as I was writing this this week, I was thinking about telling this story. And I thought, no, I can't do it because I will just bawl like a baby. But I think I've cried enough that I'm, like I said before, I think I'm dehydrated and I'm okay. Okay. But I don't think my dad really ever sat down at any point and said, God created me this way, so I want to be a high school football coach. I don't think he ever did that. It's just kind of who he was. But when I look at my dad's life, who he was, who God created him to be, and, and then what he became were completely in line. My dad succeeded, and he didn't have to be a professional coach or he didn't have to be a college coach. He was just who God created him to be. And, and what's interesting, we so often we think, oh, you need more recognition. And my dad was in Topeka, Kansas. He, he coached for 43 years. And this last week, I cannot tell you how many hundreds of messages I've got, either through Facebook The one good thing about Facebook, I kept saying that this week, this is one good thing about Facebook. All the messages that came through, all the texts I got from high school friends, all of them saying the same thing. Your dad impacted my life. Your dad impacted my life. He made this huge difference. Even kids that didn't play football for him said, man, your dad impacted my life. And and as I thought about that, I thought, look at that, if you do what God created you to do, and and what you want to do, and what God created you to do to come together, it doesn't matter what it is, that is success. That that is the biblical definition of success. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us this, this picture of success. In fact, for about two chapters, he talks about the way we should live. Basically, as followers of Jesus, he, he gives us some commands. We have the Beatitudes. Tells us how to pray. Tells us not to worry. Don't judge. Give to the needy. Enter through the narrow gate. And he goes on. And then he finishes this whole sermon with these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You see what Jesus is saying here is the wise man, this one that built his house or his life on the rock, he is successful. It's the successful one. Why is he successful? Because he listened to the commands of God, the way we're supposed to live, and then what did he put it into action. You choose to listen to God. You choose to hear Him, and then you choose to put that into practice in your life. That is success. And every one of us wants to be successful. I've yet to meet someone that says, you know what, I do not want to succeed in life. I just want to be a failure. No one says that. We all want to to succeed. The problem is... (laughs) The world gives us the wrong definition of success. And it basically tells us that success, it's wealth, it's importance, it's, it's power. You see, we define success by how the world defines it. Interestingly enough, my wife sent me an article this week about Finland, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but but the number one happiest country in the world is actually not the United States, and we're all like, oh, what? I thought it was like California right here it was the happiest place in the world, but it's Finland. How could Finland be the happiest place in the world? And yet for five years in a row, they've been the happiest place in the world, and The first thing, the first reason they gave that they're the happiest place in the world was they don't compare themselves to each other. It's like, what? Then how do you know what kind of car to get? I mean, how how do you know what clothes to wear? I mean, if you're not comparing yourself to everyone else... But this article says that they, they live in a, even the wealthiest people kind of live in a modest way because they're not worried about what other people think of them. And the problem is when we think of success, we think of money. We think of fame. I, I like to listen to podcasts. and It's been a month ago. I started listening to this podcast. I'd listened to the guy before, and he had this guy on there, and the, the title of it, was how to succeed in this world. And I thought, what a great one to listen to. So I start listening, and about 10 minutes into it, I wanted to stick my finger down my throat and vomit. This guy literally was going on and on and on about how he's made all this money, and it must have mentioned at least five times in the first 10 minutes that he'd made over $100 million. It was like, good for you. I'm just shy of that. But after a while... I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, if that's success, I want nothing to do with it. And I turned it off. Because here's the thing. We allow others to define our success. We let the world or the culture define it. Then we compare ourselves to others. We try to either measure up or look down at others. And our view of success depends sometimes on who we're with or who we're trying to impress. When I was in junior high... Seventh grade, you can imagine how massively tall I was in seventh grade. I went out for track, and I wanted to be a high jumper because I knew a kid that was older than me that was a high jumper, and it was so cool to watch him jump over this bar. And these guys, I don't know if you know, the world record for high jump is eight feet. And that's not jumping and touching eight feet. That's throwing your whole body over eight feet. That's impressive. But in seventh grade, they had, to, they had a minimum that the bar could be. And before you could actually go and compete in a meet, you had to clear the first level. And that was, I mean, it was probably like four feet. I don't know. It might have been even shorter. I could never even clear the first one. I tried and tried and tried. And I remember my, my track coach finally came up and he said, Hey, hey Chris, this isn't for you. <laughs> you know, a four foot two high jumper doesn't seem to work. So, you know what? We need someone to run the mile. And so they sent me over to run the mile, and guess what? I was good at the mile. And I actually just brag a little bit. I set the record at French Middle School for the mile. And so I could say my junior high track career was quite a success as a miler, right? But if I went my junior high track career was a success as a high jumper, that's not true. Now, I didn't fail. That just wasn't me. That's not how God created me. And so we need to look at this, but how did God create us? Because the thing is, if we compare ourselves to others to determine our success, we're going to live very frustrated lives. And success has nothing to do with being better than others. Just like failure has nothing to do with being less than others. This is what the Bible tells us about us. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I I go to this verse so often because I love to think of myself as God's masterpiece. He, He created us uniquely. Every single one of us. We're different, but he made us uniquely on purpose. We're this masterpiece to him. And then listen to what it says. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Why did he create us? To do these good things. And if we're trying to do something else, we're not going to do these good things. And so how God created us and what we do need to come together. And You see, our desires and how God created us need to be the same. And so this is how I define success. Success is when the person you're striving to become is the same person that God created you to be. That's success. And you notice I don't say when the person you are, because we very rarely get there by the end of this life, but with the person you're striving to become is the same person that God created you to be. You see, I I actually think we all need a personal definition of success. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying successful people all have a personal definition of success, but a few years, I wrote out, and it keeps changing, and I want to share with you my personal definition of success. It's not yours, it's it's mine. But mine is this, to teach and encourage people to become all that God has created them to be through knowing God, loving God, and pursuing God. And so now I take that, and I, I can run everything through that definition of success. You see... We need to use the filter of our relationship from God, our relationship with God to understand what success is in our life. And so I want to teach and encourage people to be successful, to be who God created them to be. And so now I can look at that and I can go, you know what? I have I have a 2012 Honda CRV. It's it's okay. And I'd like a nicer car, but I don't need one, because it doesn't matter. I mean, my level of success doesn't matter by what car I drive. I'd like to have a nice house, and we do have a nice house, but it doesn't matter. And so I don't have to compare myself to other people because my definition of success is not about other people. It's not about the car I drive. It's, it's luckily not about how good of a surfer I am. It's, it's not about any of those things. My definition of success, now I can filter my life through that. And the thing is, you can do this at any age, at any point in your life. You you can stop and go, man, aiming at nothing. What do I need to do? It it can be, you just graduated college, and you're like, man, I I need to figure this out. Write down, take time, pray, get to seek out God's will, and and write down that definition of success. Maybe you just dropped out of college, and you need to go, okay, what is success to me? Maybe... You just got fired. Maybe you just retired from work and you need to go, hey, i got to reassess this. I need to write down, what is it I should be doing? Or maybe you just got married. Or maybe you just got divorced. It, It doesn't matter where you're at in life. You can stop right now, wipe the slate, and go, what is it God wants me to do? What is success in my life through that filter of your relationship with God? The nation of Israel is an amazing story. In fact, the whole Old Testament is this relationship between God and Israel. And and God, from the very beginning, promised them success. Even when they were just a big family, God God took them aside and said, You are my people, and I'm going to give you the promised land. You're going to be this huge, successful nation. That's what God said to this small family. Now, if you know the story of Israel, that small family goes through some stuff, and they end up in Egypt, and that small family grows, and they become a nation of slaves. It's like, that's not success, right? It doesn't even look like any definition of success. But here, this this nation, they've become a nation, but now they're slaves. And and these people remembered God's promise that you're going to inherit this land, you're going to get the promised land, you're going to be a great nation, and so then from there, God sends Moses, and through Moses, God frees the people from slavery. They come out of Egypt. They march across the desert right to the edge of where God promised them to go. I mean, that in and of itself is an amazing story. that He, he freed people from slavery, took them to the edge of the promised land, and there they get to the edge of the promised land. They can see success, right? God defined them by saying, hey, you are going to get there. You are going to be this great nation. And here they are on the edge of it, and they're looking into the promised land. If you remember, they sent some spies in to check it out. The spies came back and said, wow, there's some pretty big people over there. And I don't think we can defeat these people. I don't know about this. And so even though God had freed them from slavery, brought them to the edge of the promised land, the nation goes, no, 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 we'll just stay here in the desert. And so for 40 years, instead of moving forward into the promised land, they refused to do what God had promised them, and they just went stagnant. They were wanderers. I mean, how often in life do we just wander? We, we, we thought we knew where we were going, and then boom, something happens, and we're left wondering, what do we do? How do we do this? And, and for 40 years, these people, well, they were just stuck. In the desert, a whole generation of people go by. A new commander comes in. His name's Joshua. And here's what God says to Joshua. In Joshua 1, 5 through 9, it says, No one will stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the, to the right or the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And then he finishes it with this. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Those are powerful words. <laughs> and and every time I read that, I, I try to imagine, man, could you imagine being Joshua and having God say that? to you. What what an encouraging thing. Now, God has already defined for Israel what success is. He's told them over and over, you are my people. You're going to possess this land, and you're going to be a great nation. But they had to listen to him, and they had to put his words into action. You remember back from the very beginning, that's what God told them to do. If you do what I say, You're going to be really successful. And when you read this from Joshua, and it's pretty easy to break this down, but what did Joshua have to do to be successful? Well, number one, he had to focus on God and His Word. A couple times, he tells him, be careful to obey. Don't turn away from it. Obey, so focus on God. Then he said, don't be discouraged. In other words, be encouraged. Like... I get it, we don't just have a button and go, oh, be encouraged. But he's commanding Joshua, hey, be encouraged. And then you just keep moving forward. You see, for 40 years, people did not move forward, they just stayed right where they were. Now, for you and I, we can take this same thing and we can apply it to our, our lives. And we go, well, how do we prosper? How do we succeed? Well, we stay connected to God. We know him, we love him, we listen to him. That's the num If you want to succeed in life, know God. Number 2, stay encouraged. By knowing God, it's easier to stay encouraged. And 3, keep moving forward. You see everything that God commanded Joshua to do was simply a choice. It was a choice with a promise. And so from there, if you know the story, Joshua takes the, Israel, the Israelites and says, we are going into the promised land. And so they pack up. You can imagine this whole nation packing up, and they're going to go into the promised land. Joshua is asking God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because when they get into the promised land, just on the other side is this big giant city called Jericho. And Jericho had these big giant walls around it. And so to even get into the land, they had to defeat Jericho. And now you can imagine, for 40 years, this nation's probably looking over the Jordan River going, hmm, that's why we didn't go in, because there's Jericho right there. Uh, Jericho had walls, the base of them were 6 feet wide. And and they went 50 feet high. And and there's no way for them to get in. And so Joshua's asking, "How? what do we do? And God gives him this incredible military plan. Go and walk around the city. Just walk around it once on day one. For six days, walk around it one time a day. And then on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. So 13 times they're going to walk around the city. And I'm, if I'm Joshua, I'm going, God, I, I didn't learn this in military school. I, this does not work. But God said, this is what you're going to do. And so the Israelite people had to get up from where they were. And they first had to walk into the Jordan River because they had to get across that. And the second the priest touched the Jordan River, it parted for them. And they just kept moving, kept moving into the promised land. And there is Jericho. And what I think is interesting is the very first thing that God asked Joshua and the Israelites to do was impossible. This is in your way. Now remember, you're going to succeed. How are you going to succeed? You're going to take possession of the promised land. You're going to be a great nation right here. The problem is you had Jericho, and Jericho is the first of many other nations that lived there that they had to go in, and they're going to have to defeat. But first they had Jericho. The very first problem they seemed impossible. But they listened, and they circled the city. Once for six days. And then day seven, they circled it seven times. The priests blew the trumpets, and the second they blew the trumpet, the walls came down, and they defeated Jericho. It's a story I've heard since I was... look at it now as an adult, it's so much easier to go, oh, man, how many times did God say, hey, you need to go there? I go, but there's Jericho, <laughs> it's in the way, I can't go, but I go there, and I wander, how do we do that? I think it's good that we ask, <laughs> God, what's, what do we do about the things in our way, what's in your way? What's in the way of you being that success that God has defined for you? And, and I just want to take a moment because honestly, I think all of us want success. And I just want to take a moment and define what success is. And I want you to think, and, and, and you're not going to figure out your definition of success unless you already have. But I want you to think about this. And I want to to challenge you this week to literally write out your definition of success. You remember my definition, not my personal one, but definition of success is when the person you're striving to become is the same person that God created you to be. And so the question is, what is your personal definition of success? Between you and God. How did God create you? How can your desires And the way God creates you, come together so that you can live in this way. And the second question is, what's your Jericho? What's standing in your way? I I know there's lots of different people that, man, maybe it's money. Maybe it's schooling that I I never had. Whatever it is, it may really, truly seem impossible. But here's the thing, When, when God and you create this definition of success, guess what? He does the same thing for you that he did for the Israelite people. Yeah, there's Jericho. But I'm going to give you a way around. I'm gonna, maybe you have to just keep moving forward. Paul says this about how God created him. It's in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, for Paul, success was what he was striving for. He was striving, what did he say? To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. For you and I, to prosper and succeed, we need to be connected to God. We need to stay connected encouraged, and we need to keep moving forward. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in it. My prayer for us is your people that that we would continue to choose you, to pursue you, to know you, to love you. And in that, Lord, I pray that you would Literally make us exactly how you created us. Help us to get to that point, just like Paul said, by striving to become who you created us to be. That's my prayer for us as a people. It's my prayer for this church. We love you, and we just pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here, and you are dismissed.